Well, good morning, everyone. This is, as we've already mentioned, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Hard to believe it's almost December already. And uh, Advent is the time of the year in the church calendar when we remember and reflect on the coming of our Lord and his breaking into this world. And so this morning, we are stepping into a series called The Eruption of the Kingdom. And if you're wondering or unsure why it's eruption rather than eruption, that's because eruption has more to do, as Ed has mentioned, in the breaking out or bursting forth of something, which would certainly work when we're talking about Jesus' kingdom. But perhaps what's more fitting in the Advent season is to think of the kingdom as breaking in, as Jesus coming to us, his coming down in the divine coming here, his, his bursting into this world, his interrupting of our regular existence. In other words, God is preparing to come down, to break the silence of our brokenness and to speak into it with hope. So this Advent, we're looking at the specific ways that God prepared his people for this eruption, for this interruption. Specifically, we're looking at the early narratives in Luke's gospel that point to this breaking in, that lead us to this great interruption, this rushing in and arrival of our king. So if you'll turn with me, we're looking at the first chapter in Luke, and we're going to be reading from verses 5 through 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. 
they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable of sin that hadn't been accounted for, or a reason why God had closed her womb. The text tells us in verse 25 that Elizabeth had suffered disgrace for this. Being childless, according to one scholar, was economically and socially disastrous, particularly for a woman. The, they, the parents had no one to support them in old age, and it was usually in the eyes of others seen as a judgment on them. This was not a good place for them to be in. Zechariah was actually in the right, according to Jewish custom, to divorce her. That was fair to do if your wife couldn't produce a child for you. So for this righteous and blameless couple, not being able to bear a child would have been difficult for them to understand. It wouldn't make sense. But they're not the first couple in Scripture to endure this kind of despair. Who else do we know of in Scripture that was labeled as very old and childless? I'm hearing murmurings. <laughs> Say it a little louder. Abraham and Sarah, yes! Zechariah and Elizabeth are meant to remind us of Abraham and Sarah, all the way back in Genesis. If you know your scriptures, if you don't, that's okay. But Abraham, <laughs> Abraham and Sarah, who received a child after years of pain, years of pain, a child through whom God would bring about a people who would be blessed so that they could be a blessing to everyone else. God had said this to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Imagine how that would have sounded to Abraham, right? After years of being childless, years of pain, years of despair. This is what he's told, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And notice the framework there. Not you guys are going to be blessed in your little family. All nations will be blessed through this one nation that's going to come from this one child. That's God's scope, right? But that hadn't happened yet. You know, we get to the end of the Old Testament and nothing seems to have changed. Nations have not been blessed. Centuries have gone by. Books have been written. All the prophets had spoke to this something that hadn't taken place. Had God's promises failed? Was it all for nothing? What was the point of all the pain? Where was God for people like Zechariah and Elizabeth when it seemed like they needed him most? Luke makes it very obvious to us these two were righteous and blameless. In other words, it was not their fault that they were very old and hadn't yet born a child. Pain and tragedy and silence are not necessarily a result of our failures. The point here, rather, is that the advent of the kingdom begins with tragedy. It begins with the brokenness of our humanity. It's barrenness with silence. There is pain before there is comfort. There is grief before there is joy. There is silence before there is hope. And a light of hope finally beams through the window of Scripture when we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. Finally, something's happening. Something is stirring. A light has dawned. God's not done. He's on the move. And he's preparing to break into this world. After centuries of silence, finally a sign of hope has been offered. And where does it all begin? 
quite appropriately, in the temple. Verses 8 through 9. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay? So, see, everyone who was a direct descendant of Aaron was a priest, okay? So by this time in Israel's history, there's a lot of them. Okay, there's a lot of descendants of Levi, if you really think about it. So all of them were gathered into 24 different orders, okay? You were a part of a certain order. And every year, they, they took turns serving in the temple for two weeks of the year. So this was a big deal for Zechariah to be chosen. It wasn't necessarily guaranteed that you would get to do this in your lifetime. This isn't something he did all the time. This is a really special event for him. And his task was to go into the temple for the morning and the evening sacrifice to burn incense for an offering that was being made for the whole nation, okay? And then to come out and to bless all those who were praying in the temple. That's what was supposed to happen. However, he doesn't come out. And all the people there are, you know, standing awkwardly waiting for him and wondering what's going on. But he's been encountered by an angel who says to him that his prayer has been answered. Well, what prayer is he speaking of? We didn't hear Zechariah pray anything. What prayer is the angel referring to? Because whatever prayer it was, that prayer has now ushered in the good news that this angel is bringing. You know, if you ever worried about the power of prayer, this is where it starts, okay? Ushered in the good news that this angel is bringing him. And we may instinctively think that, well, of course Zechariah would have been praying about his own personal distress and the lack of children, but considering where he is and, and what his duty would have been in that moment, Zechariah's prayer would not have been for his own distress, but for the comfort and the consolation of all of Israel. In this moment, in his priestly role, he needed to see that his own personal distress was just a piece of the greater brokenness that was evident in the whole nation in their lack of faithfulness, in their lack of justice, in the brokenness, and in their subjection to Rome. The prayer in this moment that needed to be on his heart and on his mind was for the healing and the rescue of all of Israel. And his own brokenness and pain needed to be seen in light of that. Things were not as they should be. And whatever prayer he offers, it's a prayer for God to do something to fix the mess, to send relief, to let his presence be known again. So Zechariah prays perhaps for an interruption, a breaking in. He prays for an end to the silence. He prays for hope. And the good news then is not so much that Elizabeth is going to have a son, but that she's going to have a son who will announce an end to the silence. She's going to have a son who will prepare the people for his coming. Because God is coming. And so this child's role will be prophetic. Verses 14 through 17. He's not going to drink wine, uh, which we've seen elsewhere. He'll have the spirit with him before he's even born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, without stating it directly, 
Luke is taking us back to the last couple of verses at the end of our Old Testament, at the end of the last prophetic book, Malachi 4, where the prophet says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Notice the language. And the hearts of the children to their children. That's how the last prophetic book ends. Okay? That's how it ends. And now Luke is showing us where it begins. After 400 years of silence, God is speaking again. And Zechariah is, is so caught up in the normal routine of things and in the familiarity of, of barrenness and brokenness in the way that the world is and the way that the state of Israel is, he can't actually believe it. He can't fathom that this is actually happening. And so he asks for a sign. And you can just imagine the angel kind of standing there like, you know, with his hands on his hips going, are you serious? Really? You need more? More signs? And so the angel says to him in verse 16, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God, you nitwit. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true, will come true at their appointed time. Okay, Zechariah gets struck literally dumb and cannot speak until the day that his son is born, which since Elizabeth isn't even pregnant yet, would have been for a long time. Okay, we're talking months. All right? But the specific punishment or consequence for Zechariah here is interesting. Why take away his voice? Israel had been left in silence for centuries already. And finally, hope has come. There's good news that has come. And yet, Zechariah is forced into silence. Unless, perhaps, because it is in silence and in the silence of our brokenness that we can truly hear God. Perhaps Zechariah's silence encourages all of us to embrace the silence in this season. Even though like him, we know the hope that is coming. We know that God is in fact moving and that he's planning to pay us a visit. But perhaps Silence prepares our hearts for God more than we realize. Perhaps acknowledging our need for him is absolutely essential before we can proclaim anything at all. Because as long as we're here waiting for the king to come and to come again, knowing our hopes and yet seeing the disorder that's around us and the chaos that still exists and longing for his kingdom to come in full, there are always going to be aches and longings similar to what Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced. There's going to be longings for things that we can't have and seemingly don't have control over. The silence that we still experience may be the ache for a child like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Or it may be a tragic situation or a relationship. It may be a lack of peace, a need for freedom, a need for relief, for a release from anger or resentment. It may be the state of the world, climate change, war. It may be the flooding that's happening in Abbotsford right now, which has frankly rendered many of us speechless. But we need to know 
that all of our aches and our longings reside in a world that's broken and that yearns for God to do something, to come back, for God to show up. Are we patient enough and attentive enough to hear his voice speaking into the silence? St. Joan, where, uh, and it's about Joan of Arc, um, where Joan has heard voices from God. She keeps hearing voices. And the king of France is annoyed with her and says to her, oh, your voices, your voices. He says, why don't voices come to me? I am the king and not you. They do come, Joan says to him, but you do not hear them. You have not sat in the field in the evening listening to them. When the angelus rings, you cross yourself and have done with it. But if you prayed from your heart and listened to the thrilling of the bells in the air after they stopped ringing, you would hear the voices as well as I do. What would we hear? And how would our own prayers be encouraged if we but had the patience to sit in the silence? Not to ignore it, not to grow numb to it, not to cover it with sentimentality, to sit in it and to listen for his voice. Zechariah needed to be struck speechless in order for God's words to truly sink in. Are we sometimes too quick to assume or to speak, so driven by our own agendas, too caught up in our own distress that we can't actually hear the whispers of hope? Because again, the longings and the pain that we experience are part and parcel with a world that's aching to be redeemed. A creation that's groaning for its maker to return. Our longings and our fears and our aches and our frustrations point to something bigger that's going on. A creation that waits. A miracle that God is working in the world. A breaking in of a new era. An actual transition from despair and into hope. See, this, this story isn't just a cutesy little narrative about God finally giving an elderly couple what they've always wanted. That's not what it's about. It's the fulfillment of his purposes. It's the hope that he enters into the silence and he gives us hope that finally comes into being, showing us that our fears, and that he doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. The coming of John meant that it was the time for the people's hearts to be prepared. It was time to get the people ready for God's arrival. Spurred on by the prayers of Zechariah, this was his greatest hope, despite his own pain and despair. And it begs the question, will this be our hope? Will we let the coming king fill our barrenness and our longings and our emptiness and our grief with his presence and lead us out of despair and into hope? Are we a people who exist in hope? Is that what we're known for? Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.